Yes, a few weeks ago, uh, I was at home at my parents for lunch on a Sunday afternoon. We were playing games, and then my my brother's phone rings or uh, made a noise, and it was David saying, "Is this is this Daniel?" Yes. You know about that car situation? Uh, will you forgive me? And then I got that same text like two minutes later. So yes, we do. Did, did David also mention that um, he actually took a bucket of water and soap? And while right after I expressed my, uh, my displeasure about the situation, he took the bucket and the soap and he actually cleaned off everything. So yes, even though we were very upset at the time, he did, he did well. <laughs> well, I am honored to be with you this morning. A few days ago, or about a week ago, Ethan Long asked me if I wanted to preach today. I said, sure. So for better or for worse, you got me this morning and this evening, unless it gets really, really snowing. Um, I do have a connection to this church, and that is um, I grew up in Germany as a missionary kid. And growing up in Germany, of course, I know the Fletchalls. And um, Sean Fletchall lives across the street from my parents in Alleman, Iowa, and I work together with Tim Fletchall. So I know the Fletchalls well. In fact, last year when, um, when the Fletchalls were on furlough, he asked me to preach at his church in Germany. So while Uncle Ted and Aunt Becky were here stateside, I went to their church and was preaching at their church for a few consecutive weeks, and it was uh, a great time. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Ted asked me if I wanted to uh, give a devotional at a uh, Valentine's Day banquet at the church. And I thought that was kind of weird because I'm a single guy and it's a whole topic about love. But he wanted me to do it, so I did it after all. And we had an outcome of about 20 to 30 people. So it was a great event. A lot of people came. So, yes, I, I know the Fletchalls well. And, of course, I went to school with David and with Ethan Long. And I think we were even in home class together <laughs> several years ago. <clears throat> yes. So <laughs> so we saw the good, the bad, and the really ugly, too. Yes. So um, while I was at Faith, I fulfilled one of my childhood dreams. Um, growing up in Germany, we idolize American athletic programs. So when I came to Faith in 2008, I wanted to play basketball for the, for the college, but I was too short and too slow. So I played soccer instead. Um, my junior year and then my first year in seminary, and only when there weren't any cuts. Our, our coach was um, a guy named Gary Backus from Nevada, Iowa. He was head of his SWAT team in Nevada, Iowa. And back in the day, he actually tried out for the NFL. So he was a beast, and I felt bad for anyone that he was chasing while at work. But he, he brought that mentality of, of discipline and, and team, uh, team building um, to playing soccer, and that trickled down to the way that we as players approached the game too. We, we had no real talent <laughs> um, as, as players, so we really had to make up for it for um, a team spirit and work ethic, building stamina and, and conditioning. So anything from late August to late October resolved around soccer, and everything we did was with purpose and intention to have the best possible stepping stone to possibly win a game. He made us eat about 3,000 calories a day in order so that you have enough fuel and energy to play all 90 minutes. But I was mostly a bench warmer, so I simply gained 10 or 15 pounds both, both years that I played soccer. 
But because of the lack of talent on our team, there was no way we were going to be able to approach um, the season casually and expect to win any games whatsoever. We really had to practice with intention and with purpose. I think when it comes to our Christian walk and growing to be more like Christ, we cannot approach that casually as well. We really have to be with intention and with purpose. I believe just like an athlete is intentional and purposeful in preparing for a game, we believers should be making intentional and purposeful efforts to reach the lost. Uh, this morning, we're, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 4. And the book of Colossians can pretty much be broken into two sections. <clears throat> the first half is more theological in nature, talking about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, especially when it comes to trying to uh, combat and, and fight against the Judaistic legalism that the church was kind of falling into, and also uh, paganism as well. The second half of the book is a lot more practical in nature, how the believers should take off the old man and put on the new. And now that they have this new man, now that they have the Holy Spirit working inside of them, they should live out their inward faith outwardly to their mothers, to their fathers, to wives, husbands, slaves, and masters. And then in the very last section of this of this book, this letter, right before the final greetings, uh, the Apostle Paul then directs the attention of how the church should live out their inward faith towards unbelievers. So we're going to read this passage now. This passage is uh, Colossians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. So follow along as I read. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message to speak the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Then verse 5, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. I believe the, the timeless truth for this morning is God wants us to cultivate a soul-winning mentality. Or to put it in layman's term, God wants us to be proactive when it comes to reaching the lost. And this morning, I believe in this passage, we see two ways how we cultivate a soul-winning mentality. And the first way is through prayer, verses 2 through 3. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message to speak the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison. <clears throat> God, uh, not God, <laughs> Paul opens up a lot of his letters to churches uh, in prayer, as, as telling the church that he has been praying for them. Um, it, even in this, in this passage, we also, also see that as well in chapter 1, verse 9. Uh, for this reason, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. So the Apostle Paul has been continuously uh, praying for this church. He also ends a lot of his letters in saying and asking the church to pray for him. And he does in this letter as well. I think Paul demonstrates a mature uh, prayer life and a prayer life which is persistent <clears throat> or devoted. He says in verse 2, devote yourself to prayer. 
um, a devotion to something, a devotion to prayer is not something that happens casually or on accident. A devotion to anything, you really have to put your mind to it. It's something you have to stay with. Um, something that even with the going gets tough, you still are committed to doing something devotedly. And in this case, Paul is asking the church to be devoted to prayer, to be persistent in prayer. <clears throat> um, oftentimes, I think in our circles, we approach prayer way too casually. Uh, I, I even heard some people praying that they are praying to their father above or the big man above. And yes, our heavenly father is our heavenly father. That is the relationship that we have with him. But sometimes I think we forget that he is also the almighty God of the universe. And we really ought to be ought to have that in mind when we are praying to God. What I think is awesome is that even though the almighty God of the universe knows our every thought, our every need, our every desire and worry, he still wants us to express those to him. He wants us to pray to him. He wants us to talk to him just like our earthly father wants us to express our fears, our desires, our wants to him as well. And I think that's something that's so unique to the Christian faith that we can approach our heavenly father, our God, in love and not in, in fear as in, oh, I'm scared of you, but in one that, is, that respects and loves our heavenly father. I think that is something so unique to the Christian faith. That's not something that should be simply a luxury, but something that is essential to, the, to our Christian walk, is a devoted prayer life to our Heavenly Father. Um, in our hometown in Berlin, Karo, Berlin, Germany, in a little tiny area called Karo, it's a very tall, uh, very, very small community and tight-knit community. We have a pedestrian zone or a plaza with an Italian ice cream shop, a little bank, a little cute flower shop, jewelry store, and an Italian restaurant as well. And um, above the Italian restaurant one day, a, a nightclub moved in. Uh, completely caught us by surprise. None of us expected that. But it was really a, a sword to the community. And for us as believers, it was just detrimental that a nightclub would move into our very small community. So we took it upon ourselves to be devoted to this prayer that God would would make this um, nightclub go out of business and actually leave town. That's something us as a church were committed to for several years and as a family as well. When do you ever hear of a nightclub go out of business? After praying for this, being devoted to this prayer for a long time, eventually the, the nightclub went out of business and moved town, which was a huge answer to prayer. And it was then our desire to rent out that facility uh, for our church. And it would be that, that perfect uh, fairy tale ending to this whole situation. But unfortunately, it was way too expensive and we could never, ever afford it. But that, that's an example of having a devoted prayer life that is devoted to something. Charles Spurgeon wrote in a book, uh, which was a, a combination of a lot of his sermons, not to pray because you do not feel fit to pray is like saying, I will not take medicine because I am too ill. Pray for prayer. Pray yourself by the Spirit's assistance into a praying frame. We ought to have a devoted prayer life. And Paul then directs that, that importance of a devoted prayer life towards something that he wants the church to pray towards. So an intentional prayer, 
And we see that then in verse um, 3. Oh, first of all, I wanted to, to say something first about the, the characteristic of this prayer life. Uh, real short. He says here, pray in, um, in being alert and in thanksgiving. And I think this, is, this simply shares the importance that this prayer life is one that is characterized of being alert. The word here is being guarded. I don't think it's like defending or anything, but simply realizing that when you are praying to God, that you are alert and realize who you are praying to. As one of our professors said in college, be here and be here now. If you are in class, then be awake in class and be attentive. In the same way, when you are praying, be aware of who you are praying to. That's why in our kids program at church, I ask the kids to sit still, don't poke their neighbors, to hold their hands, close their eyes, and don't like lean forward, otherwise you might hit your head, so that they are alert and attentive to whom we are praying to. That this, and then also that this, that this prayer life is characterized by thanksgiving which simply sets the proper attitude to which we are praying to God. I'm sure your parents probably taught you back in the day that when you are praying, always begin with thanking God for the day, thanking God for anything that's going on in the day, so that you start your prayer life with the, with the good attitude of realizing who you are praying for and how you should always be thankful. So then, so then Paul directs the importance of that devoted prayer life to something he wants the church to pray for. And that is then in verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message. To speak the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison. So that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Now Paul is asking the church to pray specifically or intentionally for opportunities to share the gospel. Um, I think it's really cool here that he's not asking the church to pray for him that he can convert people. He is simply praying for the opportunity to share the gospel, that he will see that opportunity, that open door to share the gospel, that when that open door comes, he will take advantage of it and hopefully has the clarity of mind and speech to clearly present the gospel. And I think that's so important for us because in all respect, I believe it is our role not to convert people it is our role our job to share the gospel because it is gone through the holy spirit in our lives um in the in the sinner's life that convicts them of their sin and gives them and makes them realize their need for salvation so i think it's really cool here that paul is asking for an opportunity to share the message and then of course uh, uh the clarity of mind and speech to present it <clears throat> yes. Yes. And um, at at school, we have uh, on Monday night we have a student missionary fellowship, and um, that's where where the students meet every Monday night around nine thirty. And um, first they have so, like a missionary or someone presenting, and then they break up into different classrooms depending on what continent you're going to be praying for, and then they read through prayer letters from missionaries. And I think that's so cool because not only are they devoted to coming every Monday night and uh, learning from missionaries, but they are also they also come there to learn what those missionaries are going for, what what prayer requests those missionaries have, prayer requests, prayer requests, and praises, so that the people that are coming there to pray for them don't just say, "Oh, I pray for missionary so and so, and that he can share the gospel." 
but that they know specifically what prayer requests and phrases they have. I think that's so, so cool. <clears throat> so like, like Paul is urging the church to be persistent and intentional in their prayer life, I believe we also should be praying continually for open doors to share the gospel. And of course, an, a, a devotion, a prayer life that is mature, of course, begins at home. Praying around the table, praying with family devotions, and then, of course, can be furthermore encouraged at church. I'm not sure if you guys have men's prayer breakfast or once a month where the ladies come together or, or prayer meetings, meetings, but those are awesome opportunities for you guys to, and for us to share, to pray for missionaries and so that we know what we can pray for so that they can express their prayer requests and praises to them. Our first point was a persistent prayer life, one that, that is devoted, one that is intentional, praying for open doors. That's one way how we can cultivate a soul-winning mentality. And I believe the second point, then, is found in verse 3 through 6, and that is through means of evangelism. This is pretty straightforward, but it's going to get pretty cool in just a minute. Uh, verses 3 through 6. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message to speak the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. I believe it's not far-fetched to think that if Paul is asking the church to pray for him, that he might find open doors, that the Apostle Paul is actively looking for open doors to share the gospel. He furthermore says, as I am required to speak. I don't think he is saying here that he is being uh, forced to, to uh, present the gospel, but that he is moved to present the gospel. <clears throat> he says in, in Romans 1, 14 and 15, I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the good news to you also who are in Rome. Because the grace he has received in his life personally, he can't help but be grateful. And he can't help but want to share the truth and the gospel, the same gospel that he experienced as well. And what great lengths he went to share the gospel. Um, in 2 Corinthians 11, he actually lists everything that he went through in order to share the gospel. How many times he was uh, stabbed in the back, how many times he was beaten, how many times he was stoned, how many times he was whipped, how many times he was shipwrecked or betrayed by friends and close and, and, and loved ones. Those are all the things that he endured in order to share the gospel. Right now, he's actually writing from a Roman prison because he sh was sharing the gospel. Um, prison and persecution is not really something that we deal with very much here in the Midwest or even in the Western Hemisphere. But the further east you go, the more you see believers and Christians who are physically wearing the scars of persecution and, and oppression. Um, I had a professor back in the day who every once in a while would go to Egypt and in Egypt, he would give a seminar to fellow uh, pastors or missionaries. And, um, and when he would come back, he would say, it's a very sobering experience. 
to see these believers who are physically wearing the scars of their faith. And, um, but that's not something that we necessarily face out here in the West. Even growing up in Germany, which is farther east than here, but still uh, in a Western culture, we never really faced persecution. We, were, I was, we, fa- we faced opposition a little bit, and I was teased in high school. I wouldn't say bullied because no physical harm was done, but I was teased. But that was never, ever because of my faith. That was because of my nationality. That was during the, uh, the Afghan and Iraq war. So we were not very popular at all. <laughs> and, and because of my appearance, they thought I looked funny. So we never, ever faced um, persecution because of that. But that can easily, easily change. Um, the demographics in Germany and Europe is changing dramatically. The cultural climate is getting more and more ris- uh, risky. So even though we did not face persecution growing up, it's not out of the question that it might not happen in the future. I think one thing you can take from, from Paul being in prison for his faith is that he believes that the gospel is worth being in prison over. I would, I would explain to you the gospel is worth being inconvenienced over. In our circle, inconvenience for our faith is truly the most we're ever really going to face for our, for our faith. I believe the obligation to share the truth of Jesus Christ should trump any inconveniences that might follow. So don't shy away from the opportunities to share the gospel. I'm, I forgot to say here, the mystery of the Messiah is, of course, the gospel message, the truth about Jesus Christ. And that which is summed up in John 3.16. And I'm sure you know it in English, so I'll, I'll tell it to you in German so that you can hear that as well. Denn so sehr hat Gott die Welt geliebt, dass er seinen eingeborenen Sohn gab, damit alle, die an ihn glauben, nicht verloren gehen, sondern das ewige Leben haben. That's John 3.16 in German right there. And the, and the summary of the gospel in just one sentence. And that is what he is trying to share, and those are the opportunities that he is trying to to get. So he is looking for opportunities to share, and I believe in the following uh, two verses, verses 5 and 6, we then see that he's also trying to create opportunities to share the gospel. He's encouraging the church to create opportunities to share the gospel. And let me explain that to you, but first let's let's read verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. I believe when it comes to creating opportunities to share the gospel, it has a lot to do with our conduct towards unbelievers. It says here, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. These outsiders were outsiders outside of their faith, so unbelievers. And we see here two concepts. One is walking in wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of your time, simply meaning that Make sure you capitalize when you are able to share the gospel. And then the second concept is being gracious in, salt, uh, gracious, uh, in speech, uh, seasoned with salt, and knowing how to answer. I believe there is a connection here between the way you walk toward unbelievers and how you are able to talk to unbelievers. And I think that has to do with how we are walking in wisdom toward unbelievers. The first way is walking in light of unbelievers. Basically, in layman's terms, making sure that the shoe fits, walking the walk that you are talking about. If you are a believer and you are sharing the gospel with someone, it should not be a huge surprise to them that you are a believer. 
but it should it should make sense to them and not be a surprise because the faith that you are expressing the gospel that you are presenting reflects the life that you are living <clears throat> in uh, there was an a magazine called message no connection with the message bible and they wrote an article in 2013 called a new reformation reaching postmodern germany for christ and they had this to say you have to make sure you really live what you preach to them being authentic not only in good things but even confessing that you are a weak person and in need of christ is immensely important basically basically that you are authentic both in that you are not perfect but also that you are authentic in your faith <clears throat> one one big concept that my parents uh shared to me growing up is that you might be the only bible that people will ever read meaning that our neighborhood was completely atheistic no one there a lot of people there <laughs> the majority did not believe in any god whatsoever there was no way they were ever going to go to a church. There was no way they were ever going to read a Bible. So they knew, however, that we were weird, okay? We were Americans. We were foreigners. We were also Christian. They saw us as religious folk. So what's the biggest thing there is that they want to see authenticity. They want to see that you are genuine in what they believe. So what they would do is they would watch us like hawks. So if... Uh, my brothers and I would go outside the play. They would see if we fought and argued just like they fought and argued. If, the, if we did, then we're not really authentic in our faith. Why do they, ha they, they don't have anything different than we do. So it was our job as children to be respectful towards our parents, to listen to our parents, not argue back with playing with our brothers that we are not fighting and not yelling at each other. At, over time, our neighbors saw that we, in fact, were different, that something was different about us. And, they, and because of, of they knew that we were Christian, their view of us reflected their view of God. If, if, they, if they knew that we were Christian, we were always arguing all the time, there was no way they were going to care at all of what, what we believed. Uh, Matthew 5.15 says, In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I went back home uh, to, our, to my childhood home just a few years ago and talked to our neighbors. Even after eight years after we left, they are still talking about how well-behaved we were. And because of that, they admired the faith that we had. That just because of that, that opened up a lot of open doors to invite them over for coffee and cake in the afternoon and share the gospel. On the other hand, they are complaining about their neighbors right now. <laughs> some some uh, Russians moved in, and evidently they're very, very loud. So even after eight years of us being gone, they're still talking about how well-behaved we were, and therefore how genuine we were in our faith. So, so one way that we can create open doors is being authentic in our faith, and therefore uh, walking the walk that we are talking about. And then the second way is how we are walking toward unbelievers or how we are reaching out toward unbelievers. I think in our circles, we sometimes don't emphasize this very often, <clears throat> which is trying to find common ground with unbelievers in order to, without compromising our faith or our convictions. Um, 
for missionaries, this can be very difficult the further away you are from your native culture. Um, it, uh, it can be very difficult in a very secular world environment and a completely secular worldview to find common ground with them. That can be very, very challenging. That magazine article continued saying, emotionally, uh, about Germany, emotionally, it's a mess. Morally, it's a mess. You have to be very tolerant. You don't have to accept everything they do, but you have to be able to be close to sinners and be able to communicate the love of God to them in a way that is culturally understandable. The problem is, it is tough to live in that kind of environment. It can be very difficult to reach out to someone whose worldview is so contrary to yours, and because it can be so difficult to try to find common ground where you can build a friendship and a relationship with them. I believe Paul created common ground with his audience in order to open doors, in order to, to share the gospel, either by referring to his heritage uh, when he went to synagogues, either by referring to his apostleship, by referring to his Roman citizenship. That's why he's in a Roman prison right now is because he pulled his Roman card or his education as a Pharisee. He tried to find common ground with his audience in order to use that to share the gospel. And if you look at the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, he engaged in conversation with her by, by, try, by finding that common ground of water, go, then using that to go to living water and taking the conversation to a spiritual conversation and then sharing the gospel about himself. Ephesians 5, 15 and 17 says, Making them, uh, uh, Pay careful attention then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Uh, uh, Paul also says in 1 Peter 3, uh, 15 and 16, Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put ashamed. The difficulty here of trying to create open doors through the way you are approaching and reaching out to unbelievers is that you really need to have authentic faith and you have to build a personal relationship um, with the person that you are reaching out to. So that's when the opportunity comes for you to share the gospel. You have that foundation of friendship, trust and and um the last one i know trust respect and friendship so that when the opportunity comes when you have built a relationship with them that you are able to share the gospel and even if they reject the gospel which they might several times your friendship with them is still firm enough that you don't lose that friendship growing up my mom tried to find a lot of common ground with our neighbors uh, Germans love um, being outside in their garden, doing garden work. So she started working out in the garden. She didn't necessarily like it a whole bunch, but that way she could oftentimes encounter our neighbor at the fence and just start having a casual conversation and hopefully bringing that conversation to something spiritual. She had coffee and cake with our neighbor, Lady Inga. She was like really, really old and, and uh, over the course of 15, 20 years, she was able to share the gospel several times with them. I don't think she ever got saved, though. 
each time that you never you are never changing the message of the gospel, but simply the presentation of the gospel. I believe it is possible to find avenues in order to share the gospel with people from from work or your neighbor, either by having coffee and cake time with them or simply sitting at the same table with them at work every day, being able to uh, create that that foundation and friendship. There's there's one thing, though, um, especially when it comes, uh, there was a statistic. And, of course, statistics are, uh, they're obviously without flaws. And they try to figure out how many times in the United States do you hear the gospel before you are saved. And um, they, they came up with a number of three and a half. So it, it would take three and a half times of hearing the gospel before, before they get saved. The difficulty in Germany, in Europe, is that it's eight times. So eight times you have to build a friendship with them, a relationship with them, so that that friendship can still withstand being rejected seven times before you can possibly share the gospel with them and they realize their need for salvation. And that's why uh, missions in Europe, in Germany, can be so complicated and why a lot of people go there, don't see any fruit, and leave. So tonight I'm going to share with you um, how you can pray for me specifically. Are you looking for opportunities to share the gospel with neighbors or with people at work? I believe God wants us to cultivate a soul-winning mentality through a persistent prayer life, one that is intentional, praying for open doors to share the gospel. And are you shying away from opportunities to share the gospel? And are you actively looking uh, for avenues to share the gospel, to have conversations with people? I know one person that he felt the Lord calling him to reach um, people in Japan. Specifically, (laughs) um, I think it was like an underground motorcycle scene, which is really weird if you ask me. So the way he, what he did was he started growing a really weird handlebar mustache. He got into fine-tuning motorcycles. So that when he went to Japan, he would be respected as a motorcycle person, but also stick out like a sore thumb because of his weird quirks and mustache. And he used that as a means of open door to share the gospel with the people in that scene. So I believe God wants us to cultivate a soul-winning mentality. Are you praying consistently and devotedly to, for open doors to share the gospel? Are you looking for open doors And are you actively creating open doors by building relationships and connections with people? Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful day that we have today, Lord. Thank you that not too much snow came last night and and that we were all able to get here safely, Lord. Thank you for, for your word. Thank you for the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, Lord. Lord, uh, please help us um, develop a devoted prayer life, one that is devoted to cons- to continually pray for open doors. Lord, Lord please not please help us not have a uh, an, a casual approach to evangelism, but actively looking for open doors to share and actively trying to find and create ways how we can share the gospel with friends and loved ones. Lord, Lord, please help us. Have a wonderful rest of the day. In Jesus' name, amen.